This is Victoria Cartagena. I play Renee Montoya on Gotham, and you're listening to Gotham TV Podcast. Hey, this is Andrew Stewart-Jones. I play Christmas Allen on Gotham, and you are listening to Gotham TV Podcast. Hello and welcome to Gotham TV Podcast, the home of the hit show Gotham, now renewed for Season 2, um, and also the DC Connected Universe. I'm one of your hosts, John. And I'm Derek. Welcome. Welcome. Um, so, how are you, Derek? I'm doing pretty good. Yeah, doing You're pretty still good. surviving the fact that Gotham's still not over here on Channel 5? A bit longer break than I would have liked between uh, between Episode 10 of, of Gotham and Episode 11. But hey, we've got loads of stuff to keep us going. Loads of stuff. How about yourself? How are you? Yeah, not too bad. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Yeah, I'm doing fine. Good. Hunky dory. All right. Well, yeah. I guess we're, uh, we'll head on to the news then. Yeah. So the first bit of Gotham news, which is the big news from the Television Critics Association, the TCAs, that were held over early January, is that Gotham has officially been renewed by Fox in the US for a second season. Um, This was at the winter event of the TCAs um, on Saturday, 17th of January. Yeah, and the co-chairman CEO of Fox, uh, Dana Walden, um, said that... um, that they love the show, and they've basically told the team behind that, that's Danny Cannon, that's um, Bruno Heller, that's the char- cast of of characters, them to keep doing what they're doing, to carry on and uh, come up with season two, I suppose, for yeah. this year? Yeah. Later yeah. this year? Absolutely, yeah. They, they seem very impressed with the show. The ratings have been uh, extraordinary, really, uh, when they when you take into account the 10-day uh, viewership of of people who've recorded the show and watching it, it seems to be one of the highest rated shows out there, and definitely one of the highest rated comic book connected shows. I think the most recent figures, if if you add the Flash, Arrow, um, Constantine, and Agents of Shield together, it's pretty close to about ten million viewers. And every week, Gotham's pulling in about eight, eight and a half million. And wow. then they add on the ten day ratings, and they're up to about sixteen million. So, um, so definitely, uh, Fox are very impressed. Great numbers, though, um, for North America. Yeah. Definitely, as you say, their their only note that they gave to the to the cast and crew of the show was "Keep doing what you're doing, don't change a thing." It's uh, it's definitely working for them. Well, that's great. That's yeah. that's what you want to hear. Yeah, it's really really good. Um, so the other huge piece of news for for us and for where we live in Ireland, um, Orti have announced and they've officially confirmed that uh, Gotham will premiere. On our national broadcaster, RTE2, yeah. um, next Monday, the 26th of January uh, at 9pm. They released a trailer for it, specifically for RTE, which you can see in the show notes. Um, yeah, really delighted about this. It really means that you know, a lot of our friends have been asking us about the show because, as we mentioned months ago, a lot of people in Ireland can't get Channel 5, unfortunately. So um, this will bring, hopefully, a much bigger audience in our home country, which uh, which means our friends are going to be able to listen to the podcast, which is great. Yeah, it really opens up Ireland to the wonders of Gotham, mm-hmm. uh, which is great. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Robin Lord Taylor fans have been asking one question very regularly for mm-hmm. months now. Um, what do previous actors who've played this iconic character of Oswald Cobblepot, a.k.a. the Penguin, think about his performance as the young Oswald Cobblepot on the show? 
Well, an answer was given at the TCAs again um, at the, over that weekend, the January the 17th, um, when uh, Danny DeVito at, um, was asked for his opinion. And he told AccessHollywood.com that he's watched the show and he thinks he, Robin Lord Taylor, is a very good penguin. He's a terrific actor. And so Danny DeVito was there saying it was like great performance being delivered by Robin Lord Taylor there. Um, I think we've said, you know, he's kind of bookended a lot of the episodes with some iconic intro, some iconic sort of cliffhanger that Mm -hmm. he's done. You know, Penguin's Umbrella, one of the best uh, episodes so far of the first 10. Obviously, there's another... 12 still to go um but that's great news for um a previous penguin a previous um oswald cobblebot to to give such a ringing endorsement of robin lord taylor and his portrayal um just to mention that danny's veto he was at the tcas to promote it's always sunny in philadelphia yeah yeah absolutely. so that was really good yeah we saw we saw robin lord taylor receive the news on twitter when it was sent to him uh, by one of his fans sent him the the quote from uh, from danny devito and he's over the moon i think he's been Kind of hoping that at some point uh, Danny DeVito would uh, would would see his portrayal and hopefully be impressed with it and yeah a really good uh, really good reaction from Robin Lord Taylor there and as well we also saw Drew Powell who plays Butch Gilzine reply uh, to the tweet essentially looking for Danny DeVito to play his father on the on the show <laughs> um, they all want him all want him on board uh, Danny DeVito has said if he's if it's if they reach out to him to play a part he'd really have to think about the scheduling because obviously. Uh, he, he's working on a TV show every week himself, so it's quite difficult for him to jump on board with Gotham, but he does like the show. So, so that was quite a, quite an interesting little bit of yeah, story. Yeah, it's a great little story. Answers the fan question, which has been going on since day one, I think, since the first trailer I ever saw with Robin Lord Taylor in it. Um, I've seen fans look for look for that answer, who's whether Danny DeVito likes the, the portrayal or not. It's quite interesting. Uh, a bit of future news for um, for further episodes of Gotham. Episode 16, which is going to be titled The Blind Fortune Teller, uh, will feature the um, the young John Grayson, uh, who is a member of the Flying Graysons. You might remember the Flying Graysons. They're the, uh, they're the uh, troupe that, that performs a lot of aerial acts in the circus and contained Dick Grayson, the future Robin. Um, though, so the part has been cast of John Grayson. Um, it's been announced that Rob Gorry is going to play the part. Um quite interested to see this so it'll be it, obviously Gotham takes place quite a while before um before Batman uh Dev, Dev Masseuse who plays Bruce Wayne is about 12 years old so um the chances of we of us seeing a Robin or even a baby Robin at this stage would be quite uh, be quite unlikely but the story will be a, a significant prequel for um for what, ha- for what happens with the Graysons um but quite interested to see that yeah no that's uh that's a great little new addition to um to be honest, an already large uh, cast of, of characters mm-hmm. from both the side of good and the side of uh, of evil in yeah. that sense. So this is another addition, which, to be honest, I'm looking forward to seeing now. It will be, um, you know, will there be a young Dick Grayson? And will he have any interaction with um, Bruce? I think it's hugely unlikely we'll see a young Dick Grayson unless unless Devin Masseuse wants to feed a baby a bottle, uh, which would be very weird <laughs> for the show. But again, it's just again about expanding the cast of characters for the city of Gotham. We've talked about it before many times that they're really trying to breathe life into this as a living, breathing city. And no city only has 
10 or 15 people in it. So so really good that they're bringing in these kind of connected cast um, and connected characters. Then speaking of expanding rosters, um, something we'd touched on previously was um, the introduction of Dr. Crane. Um, not Dr. Jonathan Crane in this mm-hmm. instance, but his father, an older Dr. Crane. Um, and that has been scheduled now for episode 14 mm-hmm. of the second half of Gotham. Um, the episode is going to be titled The Fearsome Dr. Crane. And it's going to be played by British actor... Um, Julian Sands, who will play the older um, Dr. Crane, and Charlie Tahan, I hope I'm pronouncing that correctly now, will play the young uh, Jonathan Crane, his right, son. Right. Julian Sands, I recognise his picture instantly when I, I looked at it. Um, he's from such British uh, movies as Killing Fields and A Room with a View. Mm. He's been in Arachnophobia and David Fincher's A Girl with a Dragon tattoo mm-hmm. the young um henrik and um he's also done tv he's done dexter he's done 24 person of interest and um he does have a dc comic book tv adaptation history yeah he played Jarrell, uh superman's daddy on uh on smallville so he's going to play the father of another character in dc in uh, in gotham now so that's quite interesting isn't it? yeah more general zod to um <laughs> yeah, that's true. <laughs> that is true. Uh, but yeah, really interesting casting. I'm really, really intrigued to see what they do with uh, with this character. Um, I love the title of the episode, though. The Fearsome Dr. Crane. It's mm. be interesting. It's scarecrowy. Yeah, I like mm. it. <laughs> I like it a lot. Uh, the last bit of news for the week is a little bit of, I, I guess, sad news. We uh, we reported a couple of weeks ago about the uh, all the, the casting that had come out for Suicide Squad. Uh, the movie's about to start recording and uh, filming in April 2014, so just a couple of months away. Uh, and unfortunately, Tom Hardy, who previously had played uh, Bane in The Dark Knight Rises, has had to drop out of this movie. This would have been his second DC movie. Uh, he was going to be playing the character of Rick Flagg. Uh, but the current film that he's working on, The Revenant, uh, has unfortunately run over. So he's currently dedicated to finish that film before he starts anything else. So he has had to drop out of uh, of the Suicide Squad. Um, they're currently saying that uh, that Jake Gyllenhaal is a is a likely replacement uh, for for this actor. Uh, quite an interesting one. Interesting. I mean, it's pretty sad that um, Tom Hardy. He's one of my favorite actors. Yeah. Um, it's pretty sad that he's had to to pull out like that but i suppose these kind of scheduling problems can happen yeah. uh, from time to time so but with jake gillenhall i mean he would be more than adequate replacement i mean Absolutely. you know again another great actor there yeah um, so see what he can um, and will bring to the the role absolutely when i suppose when you're trying to schedule a film this big with this many quite quite big actors in it with exactly. will smith in there and with um, with Jared Leto as as the Joker in there, you know, there's quite a big cast of people to get together and make sure that they can all participate at one particular time. So, you know, the chances that the fact that someone's fallen out of this, fallen out of the movie, isn't a huge surprise, and still a couple of months before it starts filming, but still hugely excited about uh, about that film. So, I think that's it for the news. Any uh, anything else to comment on? No, I don't think so for this week. I um, just can't wait for Gotham to be back. Um... Episode 11 mm-hmm. <laughs> in March. Yeah, yeah, only a couple more weeks to go. Yeah, um, but I think with that, I think we should move on to our first part review of DC and Batman's Hush.
So our review for this week is uh, Volume 1 of Hush, um, a graphic novel written by Jeff Loeb with art by Jim Lee and Scott Williams. Um, this is Volume 1 that we're covering. Uh, we will be covering Volume 2 next week of this uh, this seminal, I suppose, graphic novel. Um, yeah, this, this first part, uh, Volume 1, covers issues or chapters 1 to 5. Yeah. Um, the Ransom, The Friend, The Beast, The City... And the battle, yeah. all intriguing titles for um, for the issues. Absolutely, and these were originally released in 2002 and 2003 in issues 608 to 612 of Batman. Um, I suppose what's particularly notable about this arc of uh, of Batman and this particular comic book is that it features um, Tommy Elliot, uh, who is essentially written as a childhood friend of Bruce Wayne. Yeah. Um, so there's lots of flashbacks in this book, so it ties in quite well with Gotham. Um, it the, does. Char- the character of Tommy Elliot was played by Cole Vallis in episode 8 of Gotham, The Mask. Um, really enjoyed the portrayal there, but very different, and we'll go through some of the kind of differences between the character and, and some, of the, um, some of the kind of uh, nuances that are in there between their relationship as we go through through um hopefully you've read the book if you haven't you can pick it up uh, on comiXology or you can go to amazon uh, and pick it up but in general yeah i mean and one of the great things about um hush is it's set present day continuity mm-hmm. or certainly back uh, when it was published of the batman so it has or can have other characters like robin or nightwing mm-hmm. or the oracle um and so on. It's not set in that year one sort of myth mythology of the the Batman coming up with or Bruce Wayne coming up with the idea of Batman, yeah. developing his skills and his techniques uh, and and taking on the persona of Batman. It it's beyond um that in, in many respects. So that's really where it stands in a sense within that continuity. Yeah. And as you say, written by Jeff Loeb, um, who went on to do huge amounts of stuff, obviously, at Marvel. That's both right. for TV and for, um, as I think, a producer on some of the films as well. Or is it just the TV? His, Certainly Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. and Agent Carter. And obviously then, um, with regards to the Marvel Netflix yeah. uh, TV. Yeah, he's got quite a big role over at Marvel. He's the head of uh, head of TV um, for Marvel Studios, so he's he's the one that passes all the stories. He writes some of them. He's been involved in all the presentations we saw at New York Comic Con. Were led by Jeff Loeb. Um, he's heavily involved in uh, in Marvel now. Um, but this is one of the uh, one of the big stories that he wrote for um, for DC. One uh, of your favorites as well. Um, and he had done the Long Halloween and mm-hmm. uh, the the Dark Victory. And um, again, that was Jeff Loeb. But this time he's changed the artist, whereas The Long Halloween um, and A Dark Victory was with Tim Sale. Mm-hmm. Um, he has a great little intro in this first volume of Hush about the fact that he wanted Tim Sale to, to come on board for for this story that he was writing, um, but that he was busy on other stuff. And I think the, the editor at the time at DC offered him... Uh, Jim Lee. Yeah. And so it's Jim Lee who is the artist here. Um and Jeff Loeb describes how he sort of jumped at that chance in the sense that he would have loved to have still done it with Tim Sale, but he jumped at the chance of Jim Lee. They're both great artists, but I loved he gives a really nice um sort of uh, description about their different styles and um, about how Tim Sale works great with the shadow and the light and, and with ink and you see that it, it it's very shadowed and very simple almost in mm. terms of 
the the artwork in the long Halloween. Yeah. Um, but then he says that Jim Lee demands that you see it all and it sort of sees everything. And certainly um, when you look at Hush, it's very detailed. Everything is exposed. Um, it, it's much more detailed um, uh, and so almost wide angle um, mm-hmm. in terms of the the shot and the artwork done here, um, and then Scott Williams, the the Inca, who you were saying uh, before, yeah. uh, he works with Jim Lee uh, and Scott Williams. Sound like they have a very strong sort of collaborative and creative partnership yeah. there, um, where. Scott uh, almost is a bit like an advisor right? when he does it, the inking for Jim Lee. Yeah. So, very interesting dynamic there. But it was great just to hear that little uh, snippet about the two different styles of, of the artwork. And that ultimately, you know, two great artists there. But in this case, um, Jeff Loeb teamed up with, with Jim Lee. Yeah, yeah, definitely. There's many, many pages in this in these books that are beautifully drawn, absolutely beautiful. You know, there's, there's some that you could just pull out and put as posters on your wall. I think they're uh, they're really, really good. Um, do you want to give us a bit of a, an overview of this Volume 1 of Hush? Yeah, uh, Volume 1 of Hush um, encapsulates the first five issues of the story arc. And we see Batman rescuing a boy kidnapped by Killer Croc, whereupon uh, Catwoman steals the the ransom money. As Batman swings through Gotham in pursuit of her, his rope is cut and he falls to the ground, fracturing his skull, nearly killing himself um, as he falls into a group of criminals. Saved by the Huntress um, and also his butler, Alfred Pennyworth, um, he follows the instructions to summon Bruce Wayne's childhood friend, Tommy Elliot, uh, now a renowned brain surgeon. Good to have friends in high places. Exactly, exactly. <laughs> and brain surgeons, yeah. certainly in that line of work. Batman ultimately recovers and discovers that Poison Ivy had used Catwoman to steal the ransom um, and had taken it from her. Batman rescues Catwoman and a tenuous romance begins to bloom between them. He begins to trust Catwoman and they work together to track down Poison Ivy, who has fled to Metropolis, Superman's hometown, where she has ensnared him to protect her. Ultimately, behind the scenes is an unknown, shadowy figure whose head is wrapped in bandages. Who is this person? Yeah, excellent. Um, yeah, it's really a really interesting storyline um, for Hush. Uh, firstly, I guess... I've read this book many years ago now at this stage, uh, I guess, when it came out. Uh, and I was quite surprised with it. I, I must have read both volumes uh, back to back when I originally read it. So um, so the first thing for me is that the character Hush doesn't appear. Uh, for the vast majority of this book, there's a shadowy character in the background um, that seems to be watching over all the time and, and uh, interacting with in the background. But you don't know who it is. You don't, you don't have any... Uh, any kind of connection to him. There's no conversations with him and any other characters. Um, so yeah, that's kind of where I come to this particular comic book from. So it very much feels like a like a couple of issues of a book rather than a defined, uh, definitive graphic novel, I suppose. Um, but I do like the arc overall, and I do like the interaction that Bruce Wayne has with these characters. What's your feeling on on the book itself? These uh, these issues. I think the first um, half of the the hush story arc here uh, collected in volume one and um, i think it tees it up nicely i think it um presents this confusion and um suspicion um surrounding a 
an unknown figure who seems to be watching over um, the whole affair of uh, the kidnap of the boy by Killer Croc, the sort of the cross and double cross between Catwoman, Killer Croc, and Poison Ivy. Mm. He seems to be um, dictating, maybe, or planning and, and executing all these different um, changes within this quite simple storyline. So it sets it up really quite nicely. I think ultimately this first half, it seems to be introducing a very strong theme uh, about sort of friends, friendship, acquaintances, Mm -hmm. those personal moments. Um, And so that's a very interesting aspect to this first um, five issues of Hush. Um, But yeah, it's very much a tee-up, but it it's an intriguing tee-up, and it, it holds the suspicion over to um, Volume 2 mm-hmm. as to who is the real identity of this unknown person. Um, you know, what is the significance of Tommy Elliot? Mm. Um, what is the significance of, of all of Batman's acquaintances within um, this story? And that's what's really interesting. I think we do have to make the call that... When this was first released, this was where Hush was introduced. This mm-hmm. is where Tommy Elliot was introduced. All these new characters. Mm-hmm. Um, very much um, a seminal work in that regards in terms of expanding on the the Batman universe, on the Gotham universe, in the same way that Gotham has done Absolutely. with, say, uh, Fish Mooney. Mm-hmm. So that's a really important context, I think, that we need to place here. Of course, now... People are well aware of um, the character Hush. They're well aware of other um, aspects of the storyline, more so than back then. So yeah. maybe um, the surprise for people who are have read an awful lot of Batman comics is not necessarily there if they reread it. But I think people who are new to comics are reading Hush for the first time. I think this provides a really interesting um, storyline of Batman when he is up and running um, and fighting crime in Gotham, it's not his backstory in relation to how he picked the bat as his Mm. symbol. It's not um, about him learning to be a detective. It's not him really interacting with anything um, that, say, Nolan has expanded on and even what Gotham is talking about which is like the mobsters they, they're they not in this at all this yeah. is real um, killer croc, you've got the Huntress you've mm. got Oracle, you have Catwoman, you have Poison Ivy all these classic Batman characters yeah. um, that Super- are, and Superman and Lois uh, Lane as well Yeah, yeah. and we get a little, um, little holiday off to Metropolis which yeah. is so pretty in comparison <laughs> but, to Dirty Gotham yeah, yeah so this to me is is a, a neat little setup mm-hmm. um, for for the Hush character, yeah. most definitely. Yeah, and I think I think one of the reasons why we definitely covered it, we mentioned was the character of Tommy Elliot. I really like how this is played out. I don't remember as a kid reading that many stories of Batman where there was any kind of flashbacks to when Thomas and Martha Wayne were alive. And um, this the big difference between this Tommy Elliot and the Tommy Elliot that we saw in episode eight of Gotham is that this character and Bruce are friends. And it's before um, his parents are killed. So 
that's yeah yeah so it's uh so it's kind of predates that bruce actually did have a mate uh, did have a friend that he hung around with and trusted with a lot of uh, you know, with with everything, you know, uh, they seem to play together like brothers, is the way that the way they're described. Uh, Tommy also gives him some really good advice, which it, which seems to play out throughout the throughout this arc. Um, the the advice that Tommy gives him is, "You won't beat me unless you know, because you don't know me, I know you better than you know yourself, and you can't beat an opponent unless you know their weaknesses and you know, and you know their strengths." Um, which yeah. is which is playing out all the way through when when he starts to face off against any of his enemies, he's facing off against Killer Croc, and realizes very quickly that this is not the Killer Croc that he's used to dealing with. He's suddenly got a new uh, a new modus operandi, I suppose. Yeah. He's he's kidnapping and looking for ransom money, whereas previously he would just rip the boy in half. Essentially, is the yeah. way that it's set. It plays out in Metropolis, where he comes up uh, against Superman mm-hmm. as well, and it's all in this flashback uh, where. The, both Bruce Wayne and Tommy Elliot are playing strategy games. Mm. It looks like chess, but I don't know whether it is. It looks more like a, say, Risk or something like yeah. that. Or, and very, or very rich chess. Yeah, uh, with... very rich chess. <laughs> yeah. And as you say, he goes, I can always think like you, Bruce. That's why I always beat you. Mm-hmm. Uh, you can't think like me. And so there, there you go. It's almost like a, a setup for uh, one of the lessons that Bruce must learn um, as he grows up and ultimately becomes Batman. Um, there's also another connection as well, a more personal, intimate connection as well, in that uh, Tommy Elliot loses one of his parents. Um, in this case, he loses his dad yeah. in a car accident. Um, but it doesn't necessarily turn out as nicely as it should do because um Bruce promises him that his dad, Thomas Wayne, a surgeon Mm -hmm. and a doctor, will save Tommy's dad. Um, But ultimately he can't. And that leads to a huge amount of upset because he asks that question, I suppose, as a kid would do. Why did you um, have to tell me that everything was going to be all right? Because it's not worked out like that. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, it's really, it's a really kind of a really good scene, a really good, uh, really good set of, of set of panels, and a really good uh, interaction between the two characters. Um, that's great. That's a great additional connection um, in here as well. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And again, it does play out quite a lot in Gotham, where they have some simple lessons that Bruce is learning when he's talking to Selina, for example, in in Gotham. He's learning little little bits that he's going to carry through and will help him develop his persona as the Batman, I suppose, in the future. So seeing something like this where he's learning stuff from Tommy that he's still using 20 or 30 years later is great to great to see in comic book form as well, you know? Yeah, and there's certainly this, there's this one sort of scene um, in the comics where Thomas and Martha Wayne are looking down as they're playing this game and they seem quite happy that Bruce has got this friend. And I mean, it's even to the point where Tommy and Bruce go to Metropolis together with uh, Thomas Wayne and and Alfred. And there's great imagery of sort of the old costumed Green Lantern and Icicle fighting it out together. One of the things you kind of get the sense here is that Tommy is much more open to exploration. He seems like he's less... um, I say disciplined or, or constrained and yeah. he's willing to go off and explore. And uh, Bruce is very much, but my dad said for us to stay here outside the hotel whilst they go in and check in yeah. and, and all this. And it ends up with um, them both being stuck in the hotel room in Metropolis for the weekend whilst Thomas uh, Wayne is doing business there as 
That's what I assume he's yeah, doing. Yeah. Um, but there's that slight different nuance, even uh, within the comic that he calls Alfred Elf. Yeah. Um, yeah. You know, it, it's much more informal, much more relaxed kind of air about Tommy Elliot um, than Bruce, who seems much more sort of um, sort of tight and, and constrained uh, yeah. within himself. Yeah. Which I, th- I think is a really interesting difference. Bruce is a real rule follower, isn't he? Yeah. It's uh, again, I I totally believe after watching the first ten episodes of Gotham, this is they've kind of taken a lot of uh, Selena's character is quite similar to Tommy Elliot's character. She's the one that's pushing the boundaries um, quite a lot and telling Bruce what he should be doing to push those boundaries. Uh, she's the one that Alfred, his surrogate father in the TV show, uh, looks at the two of them and go and and says. It's really good for Bruce to have a friend like this, uh, despite my reservations, for example. But, uh, but yeah, um, really, really enjoyed that. It's a great little embellishment to the whole sort of backstory um, to Bruce Wayne, as mm. you say. I think as well, the flashbacks serve as a huge number of different um, narrative lines throughout the story, which mm. I think is really interesting way of structuring the entire um comic story arc um it it's got the actual story of the ransom uh, for the kid who's been kidnapped killer croc um them going to metropolis batman and uh, catwoman sort of forming this romantic entanglement yep. all these different stories going through you then have in little boxes that inner narrative or monologue of bruce wayne of Absolutely. batman yep. who sets up um, all the introductions to different characters that you meet, and then you have these flashbacks um, back to a, another time um, with Tommy Elliot, uh, the young Tommy Elliot and the young Bruce Wayne uh, and their friendship. And this really makes for quite a textured and um, dense and layered style of storytelling. I mean, it packs a huge amount of information and story into five issues. It's really, I I found it really good. I I found it really uh, rewarding. All this different information, and it actually only five issues. I felt I had to keep rereading the the pages yeah. because there's so much information. And even looking back to some of the other areas where there was a flashback or where there was um sort of intermingling of different panels in the comic book mm-hmm. where. They, they sort of chop and change the different story arcs. So really um, complex, dense storytelling. Yeah, here, I, I think, think I think Jeff Loeb's done a great job and Jim Lee's translation of that into the art is, is fantastic. And I really do think I'd, I'll pick up pretty much anything that, uh, that Jeff Loeb has written. I think he's really, really good, particularly at this time, I suppose. Um, but yeah, we, you did mention the little romantic relationship between Selena and Bruce uh, in there. It's definitely one of the scenes that I thought was really interesting. Uh, that they pick it out, and it's it's almost quite similar to the way that it's again to get back to the show Gotham. It, it's quite interesting that Bruce in the comic books, the older Batman in the comic books, has kind of the same reaction as the ten-year-old Bruce Wayne to being kissed by Selina Kyle. Um, he doesn't seem to have moved on or matured a huge amount more than uh, more than the ten-year-old Bruce on that and the love life side of his life, it would seem. But again, it's that complexity to these two characters which makes their relationship so interesting mm-hmm. for um sort of superhero comics it's that 
it's just not simple. I mean, it's an attraction between the two of them, yet it seems for Bruce that it's a temptation, whereas Selina or Catwoman is just, she just wants to entangle him and, and get involved. Yeah. Um, he, he is, again, much more standoffish. It, it mirrors Tommy Elliot and, uh, and Bruce, the younger versions within the comic, within those flashbacks. Yeah. But it starts off with Batman chasing Selina Kyle around Gotham, um, who's nicked the case of ransom money off Killer Croc. Mm-hmm. Batman's chasing a, you know, there's this conversation going on of when did you come back to, to Gotham? You know, she's kind of flippant and, and sarcastic. Well, it's good that you noticed as she's swinging through trying to escape from yeah. him. And you, the line is cut, as you say, of, um, of Batman's zip line that he's chasing her on. Yep. And you think it's her. And there's this sort of conflict between the two of them, and yet once it it's revealed that she didn't cut the line, and it wasn't her, there's this affection between the two of them, which is quite awkward in a way, but yeah. it's great. Yeah. Um, and whilst it's awkward, it is also wanted by Bruce Wayne yeah. and and, uh, and Selena. Kyle, you know, under their masks. As I say, I love that there's a a couple of kind of callbacks to it over the next three or four issues. You know, he keeps kind of saying, I kissed her. I can't believe I kissed her. You know, wow. And Jim Lee's art is really good in the background of of additional scenes. You can tell that Bruce is thinking about her because where it should be the moon or the night sky, it's a picture of the two of them kissing each other. So really well done way of keeping kind of laying in that thought process that's still in, in Bruce's head after kissing Selena, which is a huge moment for him. It's, it's kind of a really grown up sexy part of the of the story. Mm-hmm. Um you know, where the two superheroes are Ain't kissing the right. face off one another. Yeah. Like I mean yeah. it really is and it, that's really good to see. Yeah. I think. It's speaking of complex relationships and not kissing the face off each other, but um the relationship between Bruce and Clark Kent um as not biting the face off one another <laughs> like say kill a croc. Um, yeah, okay. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, the the, the complex <laughs> complex relationship between Bruce Wayne and and Clark Kent kind of comes out and between Batman and, and Superman there actually is quite a complex you know, element to all of them. Uh, Bruce pops in to say hi to his friend Lois. Um, Clark Kent is there. He sees Bruce in town and doesn't trust the fact because he knows that he's Batman. He doesn't trust the fact he's only there on business. So he dons his cape and and, uh, and red boots and uh, chases after after Bruce to find out why he's really in the city. Um, but Bruce also doesn't trust Superman, even though he's the Boy Scout. Uh, he does mention a few times during this during the book that. He does, um, he's never going to be the Boy Scout that uh, Clark Kent is, but he still takes his kryptonite ring with him to essentially, in case anything goes wrong, he has to battle Superman. He has this one little key component that can take down Superman. Um, Really interesting that the the, the mistrust between the two quote-unquote friends uh, that have been together for for many years and have had many uh, battles together and, you know, against each other. Well, and it's also, as you say, uh, Bruce Wayne says... Clark Kent, Superman will always be the good guy. He's a good guy, and he says, "I'm not." Yeah. Um. It's it's a real sort of chalk and cheese, um, different shades of of good. Yeah, I love I love it. Yeah, at heart he's a good guy. At heart I'm not. Um. From from Bruce Wayne, it's really interesting. Yeah. Line. I mean, you have Bruce Wayne using Clark's 
love of his life, Lois Lane, to sort of manipulate how he behaves on the battlefield mm -hmm. as the two of them are fighting one another. Because we have to add, Poison Ivy has used her seduction, uh, her powers of seduction, um, to control Superman. Mm -hmm. And this is kind of the worst possible outcome because you find out that he knows what he's doing, but he's got no power over the pheromones and the control that Poison Ivy has. Um, and this is all to try and, again, get some answers to get the money, the ransom money back off Poison Ivy. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, one of the other kind of pieces that I thought was really good fun in this was the relationship between Ivy and Selena. Um, you know, it starts out with this little kind of, a little bit of a gag, essentially, that, you know, no man can resist me and no woman either from Poison Ivy, where she essentially tells you that she's got Selena under her control. They do seem like friends to begin with, but then you realize that this is once again Poison Ivy using her powers. But then the twist when you find out that uh, when Selena finds out she's been double crossed by Ivy, and then suddenly there's this personal vendetta. Selena is going to go to Metropolis, chase down Ivy, and she is going to beat the heck out of her uh, if Batman doesn't get there first, just purely because she broke their trust, she broke their relationship and friendship that they'd had in the past, and controlled her. Yeah, she's not a happy kissy. Yeah. And to be honest, again, as you say, that interaction between Batman and Catwoman were, nope. I'm doing this, if you want to tag along, you come and tag along. This is after just having a huge intimate moment. She mm -hmm. just sort of ups, a few somersaults, and off she goes, and is hell-bent on going straight after Poison Ivy. And she doesn't really care whether Batman catches up. Yeah, love it. Absolutely mm -hmm. loved all of that. Um, and we even got a little um, bit of Superdog. Um, That's right. Yeah. Crypto was in. Uh, crypto. Crypto was in was in a scene which I was pretty shocked about because it felt like a much more <laughs> adult uh, kind of themed um, book. And then it was well, how do we find him? Let's go get Crypto who can sniff out anything for miles. Um, yeah. yeah, it was really weird, but actually, I kind of thought it worked. And then just the few little gags of um, Catwoman with Crypto <laughs> as well. After that. <laughs> You know, it just added a little lightness to it after the big battle in the fifth chapter uh, between Batman and Superman. I was, yeah, I was kind of waiting to see Ace, Batman's dog, appearing, uh, which would be kind of, in, kind of quite interesting as well, you know? Yeah, but um, <laughs> that was good as well. I mean, I, you know, who knows when the right time to um, introduce Crypto, you mm -hmm. know, a dog with the cape. It's one of those... Um, characters um, or pets of the comic universe where it can work in some situations mm -hmm. it can be sort of light fun um, in others and it can potentially look ridiculous if it's handled really badly yeah. and in this case the premise of it was let's get the sniffer dog, he can sniff out anything, they find poison ivy who's gone to ground yep. it kind of worked i still think a dog with a cape is kind of odd just a little <laughs> and you do have the world's greatest detective there so batman could offend her but, yeah. uh, but you know again it's that whole um just it brought in a light element to this because there are some relatively dark aspects to this some really kind of sort of tragic touching moments and one in particular that i want to kind of reel back uh, on and i think it's in uh, issue three the beast and obviously this is all relating to killer croc who's been embroiled in this whole ransom and as you say 
there's something suspicious going on because this isn't what Killer Croc does. Mm-hmm. But there it's is in his name. He's killer. <laughs> pain to the Killer Croc. He's brought out to be um, more than just this monster or the beast, as the issue's titled. Yeah. It is that there is a man, or there was a man, uh, behind that with emotions, with thoughts, with tenderness. Um, and he, he, he's been imprisoned, and we have Amanda Waller even in here. That's right. Uh, with the FBI um, capturing him, bringing him down after the, the ransom goes wrong for him. But he escapes from prison, and he goes to confront Catwoman, who he thinks is double-crossed her uh, with the stolen money. Um, but he gets captured by Batman, who tries to kind of pull him down. He says, I can, you can trust me. Um, and there's a real, just it's just one pain where he goes, look at me. Look at what I've become. That money was to fix. And he doesn't get to finish the sentence yeah. as the FBI come charging in and it suddenly moves to, I thought I could trust you and yeah. look what's happened. But you immediately, or at least for me, was to fix me, to yeah. fix who and what I've become. Um, he gets interrupted, but this is such a personal um, moment where he opens up to, in a sense, his nemesis, Batman. Mm-hmm. And it's also a hugely tragic moment in the story of just how um, tragic Killer Croc is, that he doesn't want to be that thing. Yeah, and there's a couple of moments throughout the story in the internal monologue between that uh, you hear from, from Bruce or from Batman, essentially where he keeps kind of looking at Croc and saying, those mutations are getting worse. You know, he sees them four or five times throughout these issues over the course of, you know, a couple of days, a couple of weeks. Um, and he says that the mutations are getting worse on Killer Croc. So he essentially sounds like he was taking the opportunity to get some money and get this whole this whole mutation fixed. Um, so, yeah, it's a pretty tragic moment in there. Yeah. Uh, anything else about the story that you want to kind of bring out, John? I just think it's... You know, there's the Huntress in here. We mm-hmm. talked about the Huntress. Um, she was in one issue of Gotham Central, yeah. but here she she has a sort of a rescue role where she comes to save Batman after his line has been cut um, with the help of Oracle. So again, it's just that idea that this um, series of uh, of issues has a much fuller sort of supporting cast for Absolutely. for Batman, um, and I think. The other main thing is then at various stages throughout these first five issues, we get to see this um, unknown man um, who seems to be behind this whole kidnap and the involvement of Poison Ivy and Catwoman. Um, He's got a trench coat on. Um, His face is bandaged. And um, it's a question of who is um, this this person. What is his relationship to a this kidnap and all these different crimes and even the ransom money, mm-hmm. but with um, Batman, because we we see him um, as... We see this unknown man as Poison Ivy hands um, part of the ransom money over to him. Mm-hmm. Um, and we also see him on... Um, the rooftop as the Huntress is coming to rescue him, uh, along with uh, the Batmobile, controlled by Oracle. He's there at all these different moments of of Batman chasing and following these clues of of this particular crime. Yeah, he's certainly always watching, yeah. Yeah, and then he even makes it then to 
metropolis as well this uh, unknown figure as sort of batman and superman are kind of shaking hands after they've had a massive fight half of metropolis has either been blown up by batman um as usual as usual (laughs) um you know Again, with the bandages around his face, he kind of says, what are friends for? Um, And he repeats a line that Batman and Superman say as they shake hands to say kind of no hard feelings kind Mm -hmm. of thing. Um, And he repeats that, what are friends for? And then begins to laugh and laugh as he's sort of from a distance watching them through um, the through a pair of binoculars. Yeah, yeah. So it's, again, it's one of the big elements of this is who is he? Absolutely. Um, what's he about? What's his uh, relationship to any one of these characters, uh, including Batman? Yeah, yeah. And hopefully we'll get to find out when we do our, our review of Volume 2. What's your feeling on the actual issues themselves? Uh, volume 1, would you recommend it? Definitely. Um, in terms of the bigger story, I would recommend it. I'd give it three and a half to four bandages uh, out of five. (laughs) I think, um, again, it's a really complicated um, and densely layered um, story that brings in flashbacks, inner monologues, as well as the storyline. The art is superb. The writing is superb. It sets up um, a mystery, um, a suspicion as to who this unknown man is. It really delves into um, the theme of friendship, uh, friends, acquaintances of Batman, um, you know, how they work or don't for Bruce or for the Batman. Mm-hmm. You know, Tommy, the young Tommy Elliot, the young Bruce Wayne. You again have the murder of Thomas and Martha Wayne at the start of here. Again, that relationship, his mother and father uh, and him. Um, there is. A lot of personal moments between Batman and his, when I say acquaintances, even his enemies like Killer Killer Croc with Catwoman. I found this all really enriching of the Batman universe, um, of Batman personally and uh, of Gotham. So I think this is a strong recommend. It really sets up nicely for Volume 2, I think. Mm -hmm. Uh, And, you know, it's intriguing. It, It sets up the intrigue for who this person is, um, and how that might be related to uh, an acquaintance of, of Bruce Wayne or Batman. Yeah, yeah. Uh, for me, definitely, I, mean, I totally agree with you. This is one of my kind of favorite characters being brought to life for the first time. I'm really hopeful that we're going to see a lot more of that in, in Volume 2. But Jeff Lowe was really at the top of his game here. He's, he was you know, in top form. He was very a big guess for DC to get him to come back to the universe and write some more comics within this. And it really feels like he's enjoying playing with the pieces and playing with the toy box that he has available to him. Uh, not only do we get to see all the characters we talked about and all the villains we got to talk about, he does have mention of an of, of the whole kind of cast of characters, cast of support for for uh, for Batman. Oracle is constantly. Um, covering Bruce, making sure that he's okay, and has constant access to all the rest of the of the cast of characters. It's mentioned about Robin. It's mentioned about other characters that could come to save him. Turns out it's Huntress of all the people that that are available to go and go and save Bruce. I like that overall, but mostly and definitely looking back on this after watching ten episodes of Gotham, it's a really good tie-in uh, tie-in yeah. issue. So if you've enjoyed the show Gotham 
why wouldn't you why would you be listening to us if you didn't um, if you if you've enjoyed the show Gotham definitely go and check out Hush it's it's definitely worth a recommend but come back to us when we get to volume two yeah remember support your local um, comic book store um, or you can go onto Comixology and download a digital version of of Hush certainly we we would recommend um, that so come back to us next time when we cover volume two of Hush. Yeah, and remember you can uh, listen to this podcast, obviously, and any of the other podcasts that we've done previously. We are on iTunes and also Player FM. We are on Stitcher. We're on any other good podcast catcher. So just search Gotham um, or Gotham TV Podcast, and we should hopefully pop up in, in the search. Um, you can also, if you have any questions about um, what we've covered in this podcast or anything else about previous podcasts, or even uh, on, on Gotham, you can, of course, uh, provide uh, feedback to us at feedback at gothamtvpodcast.com, or you can leave us comments or feedback on Facebook, on Twitter, on Instagram, uh, on Google+. Again, follow us, tweet to us, and um, we're on all of those social media platforms, and just search Gotham TV podcast. Yep, and speaking about feedback, we got a little feedback in from Daniel Butcher. Fascinating. Fascinating. So Daniel's given us his feedback on the first 10 episodes of Gotham. He's, uh, he's saying he's apologizing for his tardiness. He's just caught up on the winter finale. Uh, so I wanted to give us a bit of feedback on, on his thoughts so far in the season. Um, so he says, firstly, the bad. I'm afraid that Jim Gordon's story is not keeping my interest. In the bomber episode, I totally forgot what case he was working on while I was watching it. Uh, not a good sign there for uh, for Daniel, unfortunately. Um, mm. And I think we made the comment that that episode about the bomber seemed to have much more about the uh, the connections between Fish Mooney and Falcone and all that yeah. kind of stuff. Whereas he's right, the investigation seemed to take a total backseat in there, and Jim Gordon and and Harvey Bullock seemed to kind of fall out of of that episode quite considerably. Um, so understand that. Um, I still love Jim Gordon. I think he's a really good central character. We we did speak about it a lot on our last episode. Um, but the other piece from from Daniel, he says the good. Call me weird, but I really enjoyed the adventures of Bruce Wayne and Selina. In fact, I could pro- watch pretty much that every week. Um, there's so much formative about Batman going on in those scenes, and he, I dug it. Maybe that links to my bad. For me, the star of the overall Batman story is Batman. So I enjoy seeing Batman be made, but I'm a bit less interested in the development of a key ally. There you go. Um, so I understand, yeah, I think David Mazus has done a great job. Um, we've talked about him a number of occasions. I think he's done a really good job of, of bringing some life to the character of, of young Bruce. I think so. Um, I would completely agree with um, with Daniel there. It's, it's really um, a great young actor who's brought so much to the young Bruce Wayne given what Bruce Wayne becomes it's a real difficult thing to carry off mm-hmm. I think it links as well to one of Daniel's other points just after this which he says that Sean Pertwee as Alfred is fantastic he's everything that we should want in an Alfred and his determination in the winter finale was fantastic yeah. and I think that's one of the other aspects is that I think what this show has really gotten so right is um, Bruce Wayne and Alfred Pennyworth mm-hmm. and their dynamic and their relationship. And that's testament to how they, they've been written for and to the two actors who are portraying them. And I think on top of that, as Daniel has said, 
that interaction then between Bruce and Selina has been, and and in our opinion, I think we said this earlier in uh, our previous podcasts, that has worked as well. It's really expanded on uh, Bruce and and his insecurities, his fears, yeah. as you said just earlier in in this podcast. That kind of seems to have reflected and um, that awkwardness where Selena kisses. Um, the young Bruce Wayne is almost reflected in Hush, or um, Gotham reflects Hush in terms of that awkwardness. Yeah, um, yeah. and that's a really great continuity to to see. Um, I think here uh, as well. Mm-hmm. I think just going to Jim Gordon. I think sometimes it can be difficult for, in a sense, the straight man of the piece um, to come across um, as. Um, Maybe interesting, I suppose, as as Daniel puts it, uh, when you have all this other craziness going on, it maybe sometimes uh, seems difficult for to say maybe sort of put that normality almost in context with everything else going on. Mm-hmm. But I, I I think that normality that uh, is brought by um, Ben McKenzie's. Uh, Jim Gordon is really, really good. It's a real mm-hmm. sort of foundation and anchor for for the um, for the episodes and for the show. Um, I, I think maybe sometimes at the expense of exploring Jim even further in even more in depth, like they have done with Bruce and Selena, such as with Barbara Keane, it sometimes seems to get forgotten a bit. I think by the writing um, when dealing with sort of those investigations that occur in the, in the episodes. I think sometimes they can just get maybe um, lost or or just not explored as much as they could be. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, no, I understand that, I understand that. Um, just another point from Daniel, uh, he once again is calling out Richard Kind, who plays uh, Mayor Aubrey James in the show. Uh, he says, seriously, I will say it again. Richard Kine gives me the shivers. He is so creepy. Um, <laughs> I think I think the, the final episode of the season, Richard Kine was fantastic, and I talked about it uh, myself as well. I uh, really do really like the character. Uh, it closes out with, uh, well, now I can catch up on my favorite DC podcast after catching up on the show. So, uh, yeah, we're delighted. All right, thanks again for listening, Daniel, and thanks for your thoughts. Yeah, no, absolutely. Thank you, uh, Detective Daniel. Yeah. Uh, if you want to hear more of Daniel's thoughts, he, uh, he runs a podcast called Welcome to Level 7, which is about Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D., um, and I, I think they're covering Agent Carter now at the moment as well, while, uh, while Agent of S.H.I.E.L.D. is on a break, yeah. uh, which we haven't seen. It's not, not available over here. But, uh, but go check out welcometolevel7.com uh, and check out their podcasts. Uh, thanks again for your feedback. If you want to send us feedback, as John mentioned earlier on, you can email us at feedback at gothamtvpodcast.com. You can follow us on Twitter at Gotham TV Podcast. Yeah, and also Instagram and Google+. Plus. You can follow us and just search Gotham TV Podcast. Thank you so much again for listening. Um, We can't wait to hear any of your thoughts on Hush and certainly join us for Volume 2 of Hush. Excellent. Yep. Thanks very much for joining us. Bye. Gotham TV Podcast. Do not cross Alan and Montoya. Everyone